Welcome to Open Source Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Uh, Scotty Hertz, a little bit hoarse today from uh, speaking moistly through a mask and loudly to be heard, but uh, it's uh, it's not COVID. I find myself saying these things now, and anybody coughs or whatever, it's, like, it's not COVID. So, oh, oh, whatever hopefully, you say. Hopefully not. I'm in isolation here in the bunker, so it doesn't really matter. But so, so are you, are you going to try that bronchitis line on on us? Oh you yeah, bronchitis. It was pneumonia, and then it went to bronchitis, but <laughs> and then I passed out. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> if people don't realize there's a there's a heavy reference there to a moron. Yeah. Yep. That is. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's a deep cut for sure. Don't, don't bother looking it up. Uh, no. Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world, and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. This week, though, it will not be an interview per se, but we are going to elevate some of the voices who took part in the Solidarity with Palestine march a few weeks ago in downtown Guelph. Uh, they are very much worth hearing, even though there is a tepid peace in the region, um, which is why we are going to skip uh, the the drama in uh, in uh, Israel and uh, Gaza this week. We are instead at the top of the hour here. We're going to talk about the Summer Olympics in Japan. The IOC and the Japanese government are still full speed ahead. But there is a growing sentiment among the people there that it should be cancelled. Could it happen? We will talk about that. But first, we have to talk about how it has been now, as, as you're hearing this, more than a year since George, George Floyd was killed by Derek Chauvin. We can say that because Derek Chauvin was found guilty of killing George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And the anniversary of that was on Tuesday. Uh, kind of a low-key anniversary for the most part um, here in Canada and the United States, President Biden and members of Congress did meet with George Floyd's family. Uh, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Bill is slowly chugging along in the Congress in the United States. There is some hope that a ugh, bipartisan deal could be struck at some point in time. That is still a question mark. Uh, the bigger question mark, though, is... Uh, has the movement been able to sustain itself and get actual progress since George Floyd died over a year ago now? Yeah, and that is the great question. And since since George Floyd was killed, I believe the number is 1,068 people have been killed mm-hmm. by the police in the United States. And when I say people, it's not just... Um, the, the the majority of the you're more likely to die at the hands of police if you're a BIPOC person in the U.S. That's a given. I think it's something like it's well over twenty five percent more likely. Mm-hmm. But there was this I saw I can't I saw it in passing. It was this montage of the people that were killed, and of course it, it's across the board. But there was a baby. <laughs> there was a baby. A black mm-hmm. child was one of the pictures. And I'm like, what what is the story there? It's obviously a thousand and. 68 people there isn't time but and more recently since the the trial of of chauvin we've seen several people killed uh, dante wright was one 
Micaiah mm-hmm. Bryant, who was 16. Adam Toledo, 13. All black. This And that that's just within the range of like <clears throat> just before the trial and just after I think it was like late March and early April. So you say to yourself, what what has changed? Uh, the cha- the changes so far are small and incremental. Whether this bill is going to pass, and and I don't think it is in its present form. The bipartisan they try hard with bipartisan, but <laughs> both ways, depending on who's pushing the legislation, there will always always be resistance. The resistance, in particular, for this one, I think, is is to do with the ability for police to be sued by the families of mm. victims unqualified immunity unqualified exactly and mm-hmm. that is they're putting up a lot they meaning the republicans are putting up a lot of resistance to that mm-hmm. i take it it's those that lean towards the thin blue line of the equation so i biden was and the democrats were hoping to have this passed by right about now and i i think that the family seemed happy to have been able to go to the White House. Um, but I it, I suspect that there was, they were hoping for this big reveal, saying, well, you're here now, and we want to tell you that this is so. It's obviously, mm-hmm. obviously not to be. But the fact that the family went there at all mm-hmm. is massive strides, right? It's, it's that, that in itself is some, I, I believe that's unprecedented. I can't think of another occasion where something like that's happened. So, the tone has changed, whether the content is going to see a radical change or even lots of incremental changes remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that there have still been so many deaths at the hands of police is, you know, a sign that not much has changed. And I saw that, I think she was a former sergeant with the LAPD she was a, a black woman she was being interviewed by CNN the other day and she's she said you know if you're if you're in policing with the intention of you know being a public servant um you know and helping people and trying to prevent crimes trying to solve some crimes you know you should not be frightened of ending unqualified immunity it is like the people like Derek Chauvin who have like complaint after complaint in their jacket just you know there was a litany of red flashing lights on that guy's record that you know said like at some point he was going to kill someone like he had been involved in three police shootings before uh he encountered george floyd and i I think that's the real question that people like certain people have to be prepared to deal with. Um, there has to be some acceptance of responsibility that the, and I heard Van Jones say this and I'm not Van Jones's biggest fan, but mm-hmm. the, the, the analogy it was correct that um, you can, you know, putting, or I guess creating meat inspectors is how he put it. Creating meat inspectors doesn't mean you are against the butcher or that you hate the butcher. Um, it mm. you know, just at most levels of society, there is a, a level of of um, I guess legal culpability, and if you know 
Schneider's, let's say, just to pull a name out of the cloud, if you eat like a Schneider's hot dog and it poisons you, it may not have been necessarily the intent of the people who make the hot dogs at the Schneider plant to poison you. Nevertheless, you were poisoned by a hot dog from this meat processor. Why is that any different for policing? If you are... You know, charged with a relatively minor crime, like passing a $20 bill, or not even charged, like they just wanted to talk to him, right? Uh, And then you end up dead. Like, why, why is that? Why, you know, you may not have intended to kill George Floyd, but, or a person in a similar situation, but do you not bear that similar responsibility? And certainly does unqualified immunity, and this is maybe a bigger philosophical question, does unqualified immunity sort of create a carte blanche where if you're neither really truly responsible for your own actions, can you ever take account of your own actions? And I think that's the philosophical debate that's undergirding what to do about unqualified immunity. And unfortunately, like it, it seems to be one that, a certain sector doesn't want to have. Mm-hmm. And as to whether they also, I'm not sure if there's resistance to that, like you're alluding to there, the national, they're calling it the national police department of standards, I guess. So rather mm-hmm. than have the police just police themselves as they have been doing mm-hmm. kind of like the SIU in, in Ontario and whatnot, and also the national registry on police misconduct, I believe it's called. So, rather than just have these localized and it's hundreds, thousands of police departments doing their own thing, you have this central body that would you you could look anyone up. So if somebody left one district and went to another to try and be a cop, you could say, well, it's kind of like <clears throat> a more in-depth Googling of them rather than... Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if there's any resistance resistance to that as well there probably is but it's it it is like you say mostly on the uh, the immunity standpoint now in in the i can't remember the exact amount off the top of my head the uh it was the city of minneapolis that paid out to george floyd's family right? and that was before the mm-hmm. trial had even finished yeah. maybe even before it started i'm gonna say 20 million it was it was high wasn't it? somewhere in there i, I yeah. don't remember the exact number but that's the the city or the legal body being responsible for Chauvin's actions rather than Chauvin himself, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because, well, this person will probably never, ever be able to pay, so why do that? But again, is it necessarily about the payment? Is it more about <clears throat> accountability, right? Mm-hmm. Which it should be. It has to 100% be about accountability. And how do you not just hold people accountable, because this keeps happening over and over again, there needs to be restructuring and that's never really discussed right it's like well we'll pass these laws we keep a better eye on them and whatever but until this type of policing is undone which is where the narrative of defunding the police comes from then Mm -hmm. it's it's not going to change it was the number off the top 1068 right it's like and that's that's just in a year right so and that's also the ones we kind of know about too, right? Yeah. And and I'm thinking about the the recent reopening of the case of, of Ronald Green, who is um, a Louisiana man who was driving <clears throat> perhaps a bit recklessly. Um, well, not perhaps about it. He was driving like something like 60 miles per hour above the speed limit. 
um, on, an, on an open back road, but um, he, he's tased, he's beaten, he's dragged. And then uh, the police take him to the emergency room and they're like, oh, yeah, his car hit a tree. <laughs> and granted, it did come out eventually that the police brutalized him and there were some light punishments for some of the officers involved. The one, <laughs> excuse me, that was going to be fired ended up having a, an auto accident of his own a couple of days before it was going to happen. But uh, just, you know... It was all kind of hush-hushed and covered up, and, and then when the cover-up came out, they tried to cover up the cover-up, and then it was this leak to the Associated Press of just, like, this clip of showing the brutality, and the family was like, holy crap, like, this wasn't just, like, some <laughs> some light police brutality, if that's a thing, this was, like, almost a full-blown lynching that Ronald... Uh, Ronald Green received and this was two years covered up for two years and mm -hmm. then we probably still wouldn't know about it if someone likely someone sympathetic in the police department given the access hadn't leaked a clip to the Associated Press so there are people on the inside right that are willing to but I mean that's you're just what you're describing it, it's Rodney King it's it's George Floyd it's over and over and over again right you can reach back far into time and this this is the result. Not mm -hmm. in all instances, but in in far too many. Some would mm -hmm. argue that one is too many, right? And it is. Mm -hmm. Like it's just and for you know unarmed people, somebody driving funny, taillight out, somebody walking funny in the case of uh it was McLean, the young fella mm -hmm. who was who took care of animals. They didn't like the way he was walking down the street. So walking <laughs> down the street black mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or I mean, you it didn't you know well, that's what they didn't like about him walking down the street he was black while right. walking down the street. <laughs> elijah mclean right yeah it's like it's just ridiculous so how this is the have things changed to some degree yes because i had heard where was i hearing it i think it was on the radio mm -hmm. about how it's body camera footage seems to just appear now so yeah. rather than this long, because sometimes it can take years, like you said, that the example you used was two years. Mm -hmm. You can request body cam footage, but they drag their feet and drag their feet and drag their feet. And a lot of instances now when incidents happen, I don't think it's necessarily to the level of George Floyd. The body cam footage is out, right? So that so that's something, right? Now, mm -hmm. is that going to deter things from happening? Maybe a little bit. It's speculative at this point because it's just started happening. It's just started coming out, right? Mm -hmm. So that I mean, that's that's the great questions. I think this is one of those where we're left with more questions. Is like, it's been a year, which seems like a long time, but it is only a year. And for systemic change, it doesn't happen within a year, and it doesn't happen with one bill, and it doesn't. You know, there's way more needs to happen, including mm -hmm. all of the pressure that has is being kept on. And I think that's. That's something for sure. They've managed to do that. The uh, I, sh I should mention the uh, Toronto protest focused on Regis Kurchinsky. I knew I was going to blow that paquette. Mm -hmm. Who uh, circumstance? I guess a little different, but it sounds like it was a wellness check, and sh she fell to her death. Uh, there's no investigation on that, right? There's no. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of well, you know, there was there was a situation, and she fell. Like, well, what? Well, how? Right? 
Mm-hmm. So it's not as if you know we talk a lot about the U.S. It's not as if these things aren't happening in Canada, right? So that's uh, that's the pressure that needs to be kept up here as well, and in other places in the world where the the police are just able to do what they do with abandon, right? Yeah, and let me just mention two more things before we move on to the Olympics. Uh, the first one is um, this coming Monday is the hundredth anniversary of the. Um, terror attack on Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, an event that, you know, hardly anyone who was white, you know, knew about until very, very recently. It was only because it was in the prologue of an HBO superhero show that it feels like we started talking about it at all. Um, And so that's an important anniversary to remember for sure. And then the other thing is just to bring a bit of local color into this, like the one sort of substantive systemic thing that that came out of this locally is when uh, uh, the Upper Grand District School Board in April voted to end the um, uh, the SRO, the uh, Student Mm. Resource Officer. And, like, the immediate reaction of that from local police wasn't, ah, let us reconsider what this program did, why perhaps the police presence in schools task force had an issue with it. No, the response from the Wellington OPP was, okay, now we have this totally new program that's just a little bit different, so officers won't be in schools, but they're kind of being they're kind of be on standby outside, so don't worry, like the police will still be around. And then the response from the Guelph Police Association was just like, you know, people just don't really understand the police and what we do. And it's, you know, and it's really it's it's it, the move isn't about the police, it's about, you know, this students of color who perhaps aren't you know a bit uncomfortable at the side of the police in their schools and perhaps the feeling that um this you know school is part of the has become a part of the uh, the criminal justice machine mechanism system and mm-hmm. it, it, it just it, it, the, the reaction has been really really tenured from our local police forces so i i hope they do better in the future right all right. Speaking of doing better, uh, <laughs> the Jap- uh, the Japan Olympics in Tokyo are still on. Uh, this, despite the fact that uh, Japan is in its, I don't know, third or fourth wave of COVID, but it's really, really not that good over there right now. Uh, they went from a few cases a day to about four thousand new cases and uh, five times as many cases over a two-week period in in uh i was gonna say oslo but that's not right osaka (laughs) (laughs) um so and osaka is one of the biggest cities in in tokyo or in japan tokyo is another one and uh western the western part of japan which is tokyo is in has also been the hardest hit region uh you have a lot of people uh in japan and some people outside of japan saying you know perhaps we should consider just canceling these olympics altogether uh but apparently uh the only people who get to have a say in whether or not the olympics are canceled are the ioc itself and uh what do you think the odds are that the ioc is going to cancel the olympics out of something as prosaic as you know the common good (laughs) uh yes the mysterious ioc with so much power (laughs) i there was grumblings about this about a month ago dick pound was on i believe it was cbc i saw him that was default to him he was a canadian 
Olympian and athlete. Now he's a lawyer and he's also in the IOC. So he's one of Canada's top season representatives. And he was all, well, the show must go on kind of approach, right? <laughs> this was when he was saying that the, that the Olympic athletes should be priority for vaccines. And this was, well, particular to Canada when vaccines weren't the flood that they are or becoming right now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but it, it should be mentioned that Dick Pound was an Olympian, but never got a medal, right? This, mm-hmm. is, this is this is the Canadian way. He came in like fifth or something. I just happened to see that in his bio. I was like, "What's the story with this Dick Pound?" It seems everybody's <laughs> a lawyer. Everybody's a lawyer on the IOC, including the president of the IOC, Thomas Bach, who was talking about people having to make sacrifices mm-hmm. so the Olympics would go on. Very unfortunate choice of language because when you, you're say, you're you're essentially saying to a nation where I think the latest poll was over 80% of the Japanese public are like, no, you should, you should just cancel or postpone this. Mm-hmm. But no, the president of the IOC, which is not an elected body by any means, they maybe elect themselves amongst themselves, but saying something like, well, you need, you need to sacrifice so you know people can win medals <laughs> from yeah. how many countries is it? 200 countries, 11,000 athletes, and pushing 100,000 people. And that's the reduced version because there's no spectators coming, right? Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. spectators coming from other countries, which is a big part of it. Why do you have the Olympics? It's to sell your country, right? So I guess they're hoping the TV rights will take care of all of this rather than physical presence in the nation, which is why it was, I think, reestablished in the first place all those years ago. What was it, 1896? Doesn't matter. But... <laughs> It's even even with those reduced numbers, you're just creating this giant petri dish, right? Yeah, I mean, when you're bringing people from, yeah, when you're bringing people from all over the world, and every place has its own variants, and <laughs> you know, you're practically again. I, I think there's pretty well an understanding that most of the athletes that go are going to be vaccinated. The ones who get there, I think they're going to be giving up vaccinations. Um. Uh, there as well but i mean at the same time japan is not doing as well with vaccine distribution as other countries either so i i can't imagine what it's going to be like for japanese people to see olympic athletes from other countries arrive in japan and get vaccinated while you're you know stuck at home and (laughs) waiting for your turn to get vaccinated that seems a bit peculiar too that seems like a really odd message but i mean it, it comes down to like this Iron, this apparently ironclad contract with the IOC that they're the only ones who get to call it off. If you are the host country um, and you call it off, you incur all the penalties of of the Olympics not going forward. Um, but if the IOC calls it off, um, it's cool because that's when everybody's insurance kicks in because everybody has insurance. The IOC has insurance. The host city has insurance. The sponsors and the broadcasters have insurance. So if the IOC cans this thing, um, then yeah, it, it, you know, you won't make the billions and billions of dollars and lose the prestige and blah, 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 blah. But at least <laughs> people's lives are saved. And I think as much as we want to kind of cast the IOC as villains and, you know, understandable. But I really think there's a part of the Japanese um, 
government, the, the Japanese one percenters that want this to go down too. Um, I, I was reading a BBC article where they're making the comparison between this and the 64 Tokyo Olympics, where it was uh, a chance, the 64 Tokyo Olympics was a chance to, for, for the Japanese to show off post-war Japan. Um, a lot of Japanese leaders were looking at the, these Olympics similarly as, you know, 10 years after Fukushima and the, the tsunami, um, years of economic stagnation. It's like, yeah, Japan's back and getting excited about that. There's also the geopolitical stuff, you know, because mm-hmm. next year the Winter Olympics are in China. And is anybody, given everything that's gone on with China lately, uh <laughs> Do people want to hand that pirate victory to China where it's like, it's the first post-pandemic Olympics in Beijing, you know, where it all started. <laughs> I mean, the, the coronavirus, of course, but um, <laughs> not the Olympics, um, where COVID started. I mean, because that's that almost seems like in bad taste. But I mean, this is the kind of political thinking that happens. We want to have the quote-unquote post-pandemic Olympics that aren't really post-pandemic in Japan. Um so that we're not, you know, forced to have this celebration of, of the return to regular order in a place like China, which is, is far from the regular order of things, or, or far from how people would like to think the regular order is. Oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, every every time there's an Olympics and then it ends, they say, these are the, there's always that announcement. It's like, these are the greatest Olympics ever, right? But it's also <laughs> like, the it's always always the most expensive olympics ever it's it's never like mm-hmm. there have been austerity olympics in the past the ones in britain after the war i think it was 1948 were, were like on a shoestring and if you see any of the footage or pictures of that it shows but that's a that's a different situation from this because it's it wasn't in the in the in the wake of massive global conflict right but there's a lot in japan that is still a mess. You mentioned Fukushima. That's not fixed. No. They're dumping radioactive. They're going to trying to dump radioactive water into the sea. That's not fixed. Uh, unemployment super high. Mm-hmm. And people feel the resources are being applied to the wrong stuff. And of course, the doctors are worried that this is just going to be a super spreader event, regardless of whether everybody's vaccinated or not. Who knows if like the new uh, whatever new variants won't get churned up from this, right? So there's so m- many factors that makes the IOC and the others that are want this to go on, Dick Pound, etc., seem so tone deaf. It's like Dick Pound was angry when he was on. He's like, it's like, how dare you challenge this? It's mm-hmm. like people are challenging this because you're you're asking something ridiculous of them, right? Mm-hmm. Billions of dollars be damned. It's like if if Thomas Bach is using the word sacrifice. The implication is the old fashioned sense of the word is that he's kind of implying there that people might get sick and are going to die, but it's okay because we'll have had the Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, we, we've talked about over the years, we've talked about the Olympics in the past and I've never hid my disdain for the Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a big Paralympian fan. I will say that, but it's so there's Paralympics as well. The athletes include that Paralympics as well. And mm-hmm. who, you know, who's to say if you don't have certain health problems, um, 
the speculation is endless. We won't know until this has happened. And but that's the thing. It looks like it is going to happen, and anybody with a divergent opinion be damned, right? So this is like this is an example of what not to do with your international event. And one is ramming it through when it's what are they calling it in Japan? They don't they use slightly different language. It's a state of emergency, right? They don't mm. use lockdown or shutdown. It's like They've just been this state of emergency, but they're also in, this is the fourth wave. Mm-hmm. How hard we've been hit by the third wave. They're in the fourth wave and the worst vaccination record in the G7. And I was really surprised at that. Mm-hmm. But it just, the shortcomings are like, oh no, it's it, that the, the whole everything's fine attitude only goes so far, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if... I mean, we're canceling things here that, you know, I was preparing the newsletter the other day and it's like there's this golf tournament that they have for like Make-A-Wish Guelph that they they hold every year, but they're doing an online auction instead. And it's like golf, like you can go and play golf today, but they're canceling a golf tournament. (laughs) I can't imagine what, you know, what is going through the minds of people who are wanting to hold this massive international event, which is a logistical nightmare at the best of circumstances. But I mean, how are you going to stop people from like going out into the city? Like you're going to lock people in their rooms at night or, you know, you're going to stop them from interacting with people. Like, are you really going to, are you really going to stop everybody from other countries coming in and, you know, buying tickets to events and things that it's, it's really bizarre. I don't think they've thought it all the way through. And I think it's, it's going to be a really, Mm -hmm. well, I can't say the word it's going to be because this is a, (laughs) you know, this is a five, this is five 30. We really need to invest in that beeper. Yeah. 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 We do. We can just uh, podcast ready. It's everything ready. Just boop, boop. (laughs) <laughs> all right we'll have to uh, leave that there we're going to take a break and come back with the voices of solidarity with palestine you're listening to open sources guelph here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records at 21 Macdonnell in beautiful downtown Guelph. The little big record shop. Still pick up only for probably at least a week or two, I'd imagine. Forever! That, forever. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, that song was actually on a cassette, which oh. may indeed be in the somewhere squirreled away at Royal Cat Records. Nicolette and the Nobodies. Local favorites. One of my personal favorite bands. And a, and a charting artist here at CFRU. And uh, not recently, but uh, hopefully we'll see something from them in uh, this year. That song was called Devil's Run. Mm-hmm. They could still make a comeback. 
Oh, everybody's comeback this year is going to be the biggest cut. Like everyone, <laughs> people we haven't heard of in forty years are going to be like, "I'm back." You're back. Excellent. <laughs> Can't wait. Well, speaking of people we don't really hear from a lot, uh, there was uh, the gathering downtown uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, kind of quickly and quietly organized. Uh, and it, so it was, had a surprisingly big turnout. You may have saw the pictures, uh, so maybe some of the videos over on Guelph Politico or wherever you get your news. Um, but we're going to play some of the speeches now that were made before the march at the Solidarity, Solidarity with Palestine event a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it was uh, really energetic and active. Um, and it, as I said, a lot of interesting voices that you don't typically hear from people who aren't usually some of the most politically active uh, in our community. And uh, it was uh, it was a very interesting and informative time to be sure. So we're gonna hit play on some of those uh, some of that audio right now. situations of colonialism and land grabs. So the land here that we're on, Treaty 3, it was leased out. The problem, however, is the waters down there, the rivers that we have in Guelph and all around this territory were never a part of that treaty. The current reservation for the Mississauga people is about four concessions big and it has no water on it. They have very, they have, I think they have clean water, but you know, it's back and forth over there. Six Nations doesn't have clean water, and that's the biggest reservation in Canada. And it's an hour from Toronto and you don't have clean water. And so the city of Guelph and the county of Wellington and all these other colonial institutions, they make so much money off of river, river systems that aren't theirs. And this is just like a minute thing in the whole scope of Canadian colonialism. Whenever I read about Palestine, I see the same things over here. Whenever I see the horrors committed in Palestine against the, by the colonizer against those people. I'm reminded of what my people have been through. It's the same powers that fund Palest Palestinian genocide that funded my genocide, my people's genocide. It's the same governments. It's the same governments that wouldn't let boats full of boats of Jewish refugees into Canada that fund Israel now. What kind of hypocrisy? It's the same governments that at the same time as Palestine was being um, invaded in 1948, around that time, that's when residential schools were in full force, when thousands of children here were being killed at the hands of the states, when they were being stolen from their families. Aghast at what I've seen, and I'm horrified that the same colonizers are still in power. I'm horrified that this government is using my people's land and our resources and profiteering off of it to send money to Israel to kill Palestinians. That's my people's money. That's Indian money. We have not seen a dollar. We haven't seen anything. Our people are starving and dying, dying of mercury poisoning, dying of cancer, being killed by the cops, being killed by the state, being stolen, being raped, being trafficked, 
every horror you can imagine is being done to indigenous people on this land by the Canadian government, and they make money off of it, and they send it to countries like Israel. They send it to kill Palestinians. So for me, a Palestinian is my cousin. A Palestinian is my neighbor. All colonized people, we are cousins. We are oppressed by the same thing. We will not rest until that ends, and I won't rest. My liberation will come when Palestine is free. My name is Bana Nazareth, from the oppressed land of Palestine, the land that, the, that opened its home to the Jewish during their oppressed European times. Suddenly we watched as our population declined, grieving in silence with no one on our side. If I lived in a perfect world, if only, then the justice we would find. As for today, I pray for my voice could at least wake up the blind. How could you justify Britain get, granting the new Israeli-occupied land? Or did you forget about the Balfour Declaration that I recall you signed? Maybe you forgot when the Christian and Muslim Palestinians offered the lost European Jewish helping hand. My grandfather is older than your state, Israel, I cannot understand. How do you justify the killings of thousands of lives based on God's demands? That is why with you, Palestine, I will forever stand. The least I can do is speak for my land. May 14, 1948 is the day Israel declared its independence. For my Palestinians, May 15, 1948 is known as Nakba Day, also meaning Catastrophe Day. This was the day that Israel forced Palestinians out of their homes and continued to do so, like in Sheikh Jarrah, every single day. 2021 and Palestinians are still living this way. This is an ethnic genocide and cleansing that started in 1948. Why are we still reliving this nightmare today? When 750,000 Palestinians were forced from their homes, land to Palestine forever, stay away. Five million Palestinian refugees to Palestine, I pray that I am allowed to visit my homeland someday. We are not anti-Semitic, so the Palestinians shouldn't face the crime from the European discrimination leading us to Zionism, the hypocrites of our time. Jewish is not a government, but if I was wrong, then show me in your books where God condones murder and crime. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. So how does Zionism protect the Jewish? To me, the contradiction is extremely foolish. And for the story and the history behind my roofs is not enough to prove it. Oh, I didn't forget about the United States, the racist of all discrimination and hate. Three billion dollars of tax returns for your citizens. Anonymously goes to Israeli military, what a disgrace. Instead of fixing racial poverty in your own states, you find terrorism and remain silent as Palestinians are displaced. I'm so sick and tired of explaining to Westerners where I'm from because media coverage silenced what they wish one day their false Israel state will become. Palestine can no longer be your Zionist state. Today I speak loud for you, Palestine, I rhyme. We have become comfortable with what is not right in our faces. Palestinians are dying cold and faceless. Home is where the heart is, the people, not the place. So what do you do when your people and home is erased? Erasing an entire race if you're silent about Palestine. Don't talk about equality when you're silent of Israeli oppression towards an entire country while screaming democracy. Equality! Screaming while my people are dying in quantities. Self-defense is now a hate crime. I heard the news is looking at the symptom and not the illness. That's like framing the murder without the witness. It's time for Israel to admit its sickness. Your myth is getting old and the people are suspicious. No more propaganda, this isn't just religious. Before I leave, I ask you to pray for a holy land that shall be free one day. Before I leave, imagine never knowing where you came from. 
Imagine never knowing when you're all going to die. Please remember free Palestine. And let's stop pretending that everything is fine. This prosecution has become the longest genocide. So this one's for you, my homeland, Palestine. 73 years ago today, my grandparents were driven out of Akka, Palestine by the Zionist Israeli occupation and ended up as refugees in Lebanon. I can guarantee all Palestinians have a similar story. Since the establishment of the illegal sovereign state over Palestinian land, Israel has ethnically cleansed over 500 cities that killed over 15,000 Palestinians, expelled more than 750,000 people, and led to the world's largest refugee population to date. Today marks the day of the Nakba, which means that for 73 years, Palestinians have been under occupation. For 73 years, people have been exiled from their land and their homes. For 73 years, Palestinians have been living in fear, pleading for their lives. But from testimonies from those currently in Palestine, this week, this past week has been one of the worst. This past week alone, the Israeli forces have been evicting residents from Sheikh Jarrah, from the homes they've resided in for decades. Imagine being put into their shoes. Imagine a stranger breaking into your home, claiming it as theirs, and being forcibly evicted with complete disregard. Imagine being left homeless with nothing left. Sadly, this is not the first or the last time this will happen unless we hold the Israeli accountable for their actions. But the Israelis were not satisfied with that. They moved on to shooting and violently attacking Palestinians in the third most holy site for Muslims, the Al-Aqsa during one of the most holy times of the year, Ramadan. But even that was not enough. They once again reverted to bombing Gaza. Gaza has been under siege for the past 14 years and conditions have been rapidly worsening. As we're currently speaking, they have murdered 119 individuals. From this number, 31 were children, 19 were women, and there were over 830 injuries this far. How much more blood needs to be shed before we hear their cries for help? Today, before me, I see people from all walks of life, from all races and religions, which emphasizes that this is not just a Palestinian issue, it's a humanitarian one. We have a duty to speak up for those who don't have a voice. We have an obligation to uplift those oppressed. Seeing all of you who showed up today gives me hope. This is the first step to ch till change. Palestine's fate is in our hands. Before I close, I'd like to have a moment of silence for those who last, lost their lives breathing for Palestine's freedom under the Israeli occupation. I hope to one day see the land of Palestine and Al-Aqsa victorious. May the souls of the individuals who lost their lives rest in peace. I know that one day Palestine will be free with the help of you all speaking about all the injustices happening as well as the global community standing together to fight for this cause. Why are we here today? We are here to show support alongside the Palestinian people. Why are we here today? We are here to get justice for the suffering that's been caused for decades by the Israeli forces. Why are we here today? We are here to be heard. We are here to be seen, and we are here to make a change. You guys ever heard of the village Beit Mahsir? Yeah, oh, there you go, nice. Um, I'm going to tell you about a story about a family that once lived in Beit Mahsid. Uh, they were farmers. They had a very, very simple life. Um, th sorry. They were farmers. They had a very, very simple life. They were cattle and wheat farmers. This is a story about my family. I was born in Jordan. If anyone's born in Jordan over here? 
And whenever I used to go visit my Jitdo's house, I would always go sneak into his room when I was supposed to be asleep. Why, you may ask? Because he always had a stash of chocolate hidden for me. Um, and whenever he would feed me this chocolate, he would always tell me the story about how he met my grandmother. They, used to, they grew up together in Beit Mahsid. She went to the all-girls school. He went to the all-boys school. But he would wait for her in the field behind her school every single day to carry all her books home with her. He described the path that they would walk from home to school. He would describe the fresh air they smelled, the olive trees they passed by, his homeland of Palestine. I remember asking him one day, I think I was about 10 years old, I asked him, I was like, you described this land as paradise, so why did you leave? And he told me, I left to have a better life. And I never understood what that meant. Until one day I asked my mom, I said, he wanted to have a better life, but it sounded like he was already living in paradise. And then she told me why he left. During the month of May in 1948, he woke up to the sound of his village screaming. He woke up to the smell of houses being lit on fire. He witnessed soldiers massacring his village, saw his animals being executed. Houses and trees were lit in, and trees were lit in flames. He woke up my grandmother, his two children, and his three sisters, and they ran. They ran as far as they could, and they, as far as they could out of soldiers' reach, and they walked all the way to Jordan. My grandfather did not leave Palestine to have a better life. He left Palestine to have a life. His dream was always to go back, even after 60 years of, of being away from his home. He's always wanted to return. Unfortunately, he was never allowed to go home and he unfortunately passed away in 2013. My mom's dream is to go back home to Palestine. She's never seen her home. She's somebody who's living without an identity. I have just turned 23 last month, and my dream is to once see this paradise that he once spoke of. My family were not terrorists. They were not aggressors. They were simple farmers forcefully evicted from their land that had been their home for generations and generations before that. My family survived, but how many Palestinians have to die for this to matter? This is not a conflict. This is not a conflict. This is not a war. This is not about both sides. This is apartheid. This is the ethnic cleansing and dehumanization of the Palestinian people. This is colonial violence. The intergenerational trauma of the loss of home, loss of identity, lives with me as it does with many Palestinians around the world. Each and every one of you today live with that intergenerational trauma. And 73 years later, we're still fighting. So 73 years have passed. 73 years of violence, removal of people, ethnic cleansing, genocide, identity loss, loss of agriculture, food insecurity, lack of clean water, senseless murder of children, and so much more. When we look at these things, we wonder, what does this do to people? Like many groups, we as Arabs know blood trauma. Blood trauma is the hurt and pain that our ancestors felt when being faced with atrocities. And it is a part of who we are and in our genetics. For Palestinians, there has been no time to heal. For Palestinians and Arabs, they are still faced with the same oppressors their ancestors had experienced. I cannot place into words how awful it is to watch people fight for their humanity. 
to fight for their lives and to be silenced by not just the Israeli state, but by the West, and labeled as anti-Semitic while fighting for their lives and asking for empathy and compassion to be granted to them. When I look at food vendors, the woman that runs it, her name is Kimberly Hawkins. She put I Love Gaza in her storefront window. And the level of violence that was brought to her life was terrifying. They use this as a tool to silence us and to dehumanize us. They try and show us that we better not fight their oppression they place on Palestinians or else they'll call our schools, our jobs, make death threats or throw rocks through our businesses. We watch the media speak about Palestine as if Hamas is the only perpetuator of harm, but they fail to tell you why Hamas exists. They fail to tell you that the Israeli Defense Force gives people a knock on their houses or a phone call, telling them that they have 60 seconds to get out of their houses before they get bombed. How are you supposed to pack up your life in 60 seconds? How do you grab your children, your elders, your friends, your disabled family members in 60 seconds? Then they have the audacity to tell us that this is humane. We are fed this garbage about how Israel is the only demo democracy and only free country in the Middle East. The only freedom that Israel guarantees is the freedom to commit war crimes without any accountability and with the support of the West. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace be upon you. The message of peace. That is our um, uh, um, message from all the Arab community, from all the Muslim world. We stand here for a revival against injustice. Where injustice exists, the truth is obscured. Again, I say, where injustice exists, the truth is obscured. What is happening in Palestine now and for years is against human rights. We are standing here for human rights. The Israelis attacked worshippers on the last week of Ramadan in Al-Aqsa Mosque. Al-Aqsa Mosque is not like any other mosque. It is very sacred and holy to all Muslims. During this time of the year, Al-Aqsa Mosque is jam-packed with Muslim worshippers. They started shooting rubberized bullets, steel bullets, and throwing stun grenades at them and locked them inside the, the mosque. Israel has illegal control over Al-Aqsa Mosque and East Jerusalem. Israel uses Al-Aqsa Mosque as a way to threaten and control the Palestinian people. Hundreds of innocent people, Palestinians, uh, civilians were bombed on Eid al-Fitr. Eid al-Fitr is a holiday, which is a day of celebration for Muslims breaking their fast after the month of Ramadan. Imagine you being attacked on Christmas Day. Imagine on Hanukkah. Imagine on any religious occasion you're being bombed. How many Palestinians have to die for them to matter? Palestinians are stripped from human dignity. Palestinians in Gaza have been under inhumane military blockade for years. The Zionist Israeli government needs to stop the expansion of illegal Israeli settlements and stop demolishing Palestinian homes uh, uh, of innocent Palestinians to make the prospects of peace possible in the whole area. Peace is not possible if you come and kick me out of my house. Peace is not possible if you do not allow me to worship. Peace is not possible if you come and kill my children. Peace, put yourself in the same position as every Palestinian. 
It's a stand for human rights. We should not accept it. As humans, I'm not calling the Arabs. I'm not calling just the Muslims. I'm calling the whole world. The whole world. I'm calling Justin Trudeau. You need to speak up. We came to Canada because it is a free country. Justin Trudeau, it's a call. You need to stand up for human rights. Stop the attack on Gaza. Free Palestine. I wanted to note, today, the Gaza Tower of Al Jazeera office was destroyed by Israel. The uh, forces uh, uh, and the residential apartments around it. This is a clear act to stop the journalists from conducting their sacred duty to inform the world and report events on the ground. The world will not know. Uh, um, the world will now know less about what is happening in Gaza, and this is uh, where exists injustice exists. The truth is obscured. So we need to stand up and let the whole world know. Some people don't even know what's going on. Some people don't even know that Palestine is a land for the Palestinians, because all they knew since 1948 is that it's an Israeli state. Uh, I hope my voice reached out. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you. All right, and those were uh, some of the voices taking part in the Solidarity of Palestine march a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there is, if only briefly, peace in the Middle East right now after a ceasefire. Uh, we may have to return to that topic. Actually, there's no may about it. We will definitely return to that topic at some point. Sadly, <laughs> and probably, yes. But Yeah. Anyway, we'll have to return to our non-radio lives, because that's the end of the show for this week. We hope you liked it. If you want to stay connected to us at our website, you can do that. We're at opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire. We're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. To listen to this show again, you can download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, check out cfru.ca for scheduling information and what the heck is going on. And you can actually also follow CFRU on Facebook and Twitter as well. We may have an Instagram account. I'm not sure. I'll we need do. to look into that. We do. We do. So, <laughs> on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram... Go Scotty, through. Scotty does not have Instagram, which is the source of the confusion. Yes. All right. DJ sounds good to me. Is here at the top of the hour on CFRU ninety three point three FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We'll be back, of course, next Thursday at five PM for another edition of Open Sources, and we will see you then.